You found us. Welcome to Emergency Protocol, a podcast for people who are stressy and depressy. We are your hosts, Denise and Jackie Freed. That's my mama. And that's my baby. We are sharing our 12 steps reimagined for today's society. And our bumpy, pothole-ridden spiritual paths. And we're bringing you along for the ride. This is us doing the actual work. When the shit hits the fan, you know it's time for... Emergency Emergency Protocol. All right. So... Hi. We're talking about uh, stuff. Talking about step one. We're talking about step one, but before mm-hmm. we get started with that, I want to like read what the step is. Okay. And I want to talk about how we arrived at that. So sure. these are, are 12 steps reimagined, mm-hmm. right? One is we are not okay. We haven't been okay. And we can't get better on our own. Okay. Hello. Hi. We're jumping in. Yeah. We need to make an edit to our original recording because we changed some language around step one. Mm-hmm. Originally, we had it written that we are not okay, we have not been okay, and we can't get better on our own. Now it's written... We are not okay, we have not been okay, and we are not getting better on our own. So I think the thing with this is that... We changed that last sentence because Mm -hmm. the first sentence didn't really have a lot of hope in it. Yeah. Can't kind of felt like a final, like, brick wall of, like, that's it. Like, yeah. Right. We're never going to get better. Yeah, exactly. And what we want to stress here is that we're not getting better by ourselves. Yeah. The solo endeavor is not working out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah the solo yeah solo autopilot and mm. best thinking and you know my best plans and brilliant mind got me to be a total alcoholic addict at 20 years old so right or in my case even meds and therapy still didn't help me get to a place where I felt like I was okay and truly okay when I said that to somebody who asked so that's why we changed it yep yeah so the original one the original version that i pulled from aa is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable obviously to me that did not feel relevant because i don't feel like i struggle with alcohol right Mm -hmm. um But my life had become unmanageable, right? And Mm -hmm. it has been unmanageable in many ways, many times over the years at this point. Um, What does unmanageability look like? Well, we'll talk about that. But first, we'll just get into the words. So, so, well, yeah, I guess we can just talk about it. So unmanageability is like we're not okay, Mm -hmm. right? Our lives had had become, to me, me, implies that it's been going on for a while. Right. Right. It's not an immediate thing. It's not like, oh, this just happened. And like, I'm, you know, I hit a speed bump in life and I'm like a little out of control right now. It's like, no, I've been like 
been driving down a dirt road in a non for in a sedan for a while now, right? And the chassis all jacked yeah, up. Yeah, and you know, there's no GPS, and I forgot the map, and yeah. You only have we're one just, more day of water. We're just white knuckling. Yeah, gas is getting low, so we're not okay, right. right? That's essentially what that was to me, and that we haven't been okay. And we can't get better on our own. I'm not capable of, I can't bootstrap my way out of this. There's no amount of fitness classes or paleo protocols or supplements or therapy or um, trips or items of clothing that can help pull me out of this funk, right? right. I've, I've tried a lot short of spinning into a like drug and alcohol bender. <laughs> right. Thank God. Thank dog. Forget God. Thank dog. But the reason I haven't done that is because of you and dad and knowing where I come from. Right. Uh -huh. Like things are not so bad that I'm willing to completely like throw in the towel that way. Right. I know too much about what would happen and the kind of like destruction that leaves behind. And I can't in good conscience, do that to you all. I could do it to myself. If I didn't have a family, if I was just out there on my own, uh -huh. living life, maybe things would be really different, right? If I lived somewhere without my family nearby where I didn't see you all the time and there wasn't any kind of like accountability or I didn't have to show up to anything uh -huh. but myself, then it would be different. But yeah, so what that looks like for me is I... My house is a mess. There's what I call doom piles everywhere. <laughs> and a doom pile is like, you know, when you take your laundry out of the dryer and like you know you're not going to fold it and put it away, but you have to take it out so that you can get the next load out of the washer and it ends up sitting on your bed and then you have to go to sleep. So you transfer it to the floor and then it just sits on the floor for two weeks and just today, I addressed that doom pile of laundry, oh. and I folded it. It's uh -huh. folded on my bed now instead of in a pile. Okay. But I haven't put it away yet because that's just one more thing that I can't seem to get the energy to do, right? For me, managing my, my energy and my effort, I've found that if I don't act on something as soon as I feel it, like I have the mental space or energy or inspiration to go do it, whether uh -huh. it's like doing the dishes or an art project or running errands or, you know, reading something, I won't, I, it, it's not happening, right? right? Like it's just fading out of existence in my life until the next time that I remember it or think about it. So I have to really like be mindful of that and kind of suck it up to the extent that I can, right? And just be like, all right, like, and if I'm teetering, it's really when I'm teetering on the edge, when my energy is really low and I'm tired. Like right now, this week, the seasons are changing. It was just Yom Kippur, which is a heavy holiday. And like feeling the absence of like our Jewish family members that have passed away and the lack of kind of community around that part of our lives that used to be there or my life that uh -huh. used to be there. And yeah. It's just, all, it feels like a lot, right? It feels like a lot to 
do all of the little things that supposedly people are just able to do all the time regularly, like even showering, Mm -hmm. right? Like for me, when I'm in a low spot, if I'm having a gray day, it's like I'm unshowered, I stink, my sheets are a mess, I've maybe kind of half-assed made my bed, my dog is fed, but I let her out into the yard to poop instead of taking her on a walk to poop. We both got our meds, like bare essentials only, right? right? Like the barest minimum. And some days I'm okay with that. Some days I'm okay with letting myself just show up the, the to meet that bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And then other days I'm like, fuck, I have just like all these things to do and I'm not doing it. And I'm like, not, I'm like such a piece of shit, right? Not I'm such a piece of shit, but it's just like, why can't I do these things that I know I need to do? Right. And yeah, so my house is full of doom piles and there's dish, dirty dishes in the sink and I have a lot of laundry to do and my garden needs, my literal garden needs tending, my mm-hmm. metaphorical garden needs tending, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dog needs a bath, <laughs> I have to go through all my old clothes. Everything is kind like of all let the go. Things. Yeah, it feels like there's like so many plates spinning, right? Yeah. Or like I'm trying to, yeah, just manage all the things. There's I've- Rotting produce in the fridge. <laughs> I want to ask about, you know, one of the things like we are not okay when, when it's like mm-hmm. um, the, the AA version is, you know, that we are an alcoholic and our lives have become unmanageable. There's, there's uh, a surrender in that, yeah. right. Um, that we kind of talk to, which is we're not okay. We haven't been okay. I think it's really one of the things that is essential in doing any kind of work on yourself is having that that surrender mm-hmm. which is like i am where i am yeah and it and i'm not okay right mm-hmm. so so having it worded like that it's kind of like you know knowing knowing that instead of pretending that we're not okay, even though, even though you're in the midst of all of what you just described right. and you're like, okay, I'm going to bootstrap my mm-hmm. way out of this. I'm just going to keep showing up to work. I'm going to get mm-hmm. dressed. I'm going to go, I'm going to do my bare minimum that I got to do. Yeah. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to just get in my yeah. jammies and strip down and flop on the couch. And if I eat dinner, that'll be a miracle. Right. So one of the things that helped with that particular pattern because mm-hmm. I had the same kind of pattern mm-hmm. with around my addictions is that um, I went to a meeting every day and twice a day when I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And what that did for me was like at that seven o'clock, a lot of them started at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. So seven to eight or seven to eight thirty. Yeah. It created a space where either I could have dinner before or dinner after. I did mm-hmm. gain some weight when I first got sober, but yeah. hadn't eaten for a while. So I was, so I, was actually I needed eating. it. Yeah. Is that going and hearing other people, like having a place to check in with that, mm-hmm. even in the not okayness mm-hmm. of it, was. Like I, it was like going to the gym. It was like, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then yeah. when you leave there, you're just like, oh my God, I'm so glad I went to that. And there were some meetings. I don't always feel that way after leaving the gym, but I'm like, at least I did it. Yeah. 
But and there's also some meetings where it's just like, Jesus yeah. Christ, I never want to go back there again, which is yeah. why there's so many meetings in L.A. because they were all born out of resentments of other people going, these meetings suck. I'm going to start my own meeting. Mm. And that's why there's so many meetings. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Start my own meeting with my own friends and it's going to be my thing. And where you know, and, yeah. it's, and that's what's happened. But totally. um, there is something about not getting better on our own. Yeah. That communally for me, because this is the first step, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, I don't have a sense of anything bigger than me. I don't even know really how I got to where I'm at. I'm just here now and it sucks. Right. And I don't know how to get myself out of it. And I, I don't even know that I would try and get myself out of it if I could. Although... We, you know, we talk about a bottom, like Mm -hmm. it it does take something, some sort of willingness or, or, or even just a glimmer of hope that, that things could be different, Mm -hmm. you know, and that they, you don't have to live out the rest of your days, like in the struggle of, I mean, there are days where I don't want to put all of, you know, my laundry away, but you know, mm-hmm. I make my bed every day. Do my meditation. You know, like I get into the patterns of things. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the patterns are going to are a replace, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think there's there's habits that we create that are healthier than some are healthier than others and Yeah. But their sense of aloneness. Mm-hmm. In that space that you were just talking about, like yeah. there's no other people no. around, right? Yeah. And so there's not really a place yet mm-hmm. for you to go check in right? in that nighttime after work moment where you're just like, Ugh. Right. I had something kind of similar with Circle, mm-hmm. right? So... My friend Chelsea Madeline, who founded a magazine called Boss Ladies. So from from this magazine, Chelsea had started interviewing a lot of women who founded these great businesses, but also realized that being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely process. So she created this thing called Work Sesh, where the intent was for women to come together and kind of have a co-working day with other women and, um, you know, everybody could bring their laptops, just kind of sit and like be in community with people without, um, sacrificing their, their jobs, right. Or their businesses. So from that, it evolved her, her, like, I guess we'll call it a nucleus evolved into Eredita. And, um, that's the name that, uh, she's working under now. And that became Circle. The work session became Circle and Circle became its own kind of thing, right? Where I always tell people it's it was kind of like a cross. It's almost like a consciousness raising group from the 60s, mm-hmm. but not as um, navel gazy, like not a, <laughs> up its own ass as much. Right. And we would sit. And she would pose some questions and we would write about, we would, you know, just would free write. And you committed to a month of these sessions and met at the same time every week. Um, and then once we did our write, usually she would start, Chelsea would start the circle and she would share what came up for her. 
and then it would just pass on to the next person. And so we would kind of go and then it became kind of like a Quaker style meeting where there was no feedback, kind of like AA, right? Mm -hmm. There's no feedback. There's no like call and response. There's no like interjections. You just kind of all hold space for each other Mm -hmm. and it passes on to the next person. And so that I think was like the closest I got to that feeling of what you have in your meetings. Um, But to me, it felt like circle was approaching like all of life a little more different, like a little more differently because yeah, life comes up in the topics when people are sharing at AA, but you know, we were talking about finances and marriage and all these other things kind of as they were happening, Mm -hmm. not like the shit show that happened. I feel like a lot of people when they share in AA are talking about the past tense and how bad things have been and how they got through it, Mm -hmm. which is really helpful for people. Right. Um, but something about the way that uh, we were talking about things as they were happening mm. felt really special and important. And holding, learning how to hold that space for people to not interject um, really required me to mature, I think. And also letting people hold space for me required me to mature as well. Right. So that that's probably the closest I've gotten to having that kind of community and um, since then, Chelsea has moved to Puerto Rico and we have other friends who have moved to different states and out of Los Angeles. Um, some of them have taken jobs. I myself took a, you know, a nine to five job. Uh-huh. Um, and so we don't really have the same schedule freedoms or availability or bandwidth to deal with that. Chelsea literally doesn't really have the bandwidth because Puerto Rico is like without power. Uh-huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, um, and I, I miss it. Right. Now that I don't have that, I, there's this like gaping hole, this thing that I didn't know I needed that became such a big part of my life. I mean, I was, I went to those circles for like three years. Right. Right. Regularly. Maybe. Yeah. Three years, even when they were virtual. Yeah. Um, And that was a big anchor for me. Right. Yeah. And I still go to meetings. Like right. uh, then it is a big anchor for me. Right. Yeah. So I have meetings that are in my friend's houses. I mm-hmm. had meetings that started in my house and I have meetings at work and I like we, I, you know, we have spaces where we commune. Right. And there's yeah. a, um, a sense of belonging. There's a sense of camaraderie. There's some, there's this intimacy that builds over time when you share mm-hmm. at that level with people on a regular totally. basis over time. There's um, also a ritual for both of those, right. right? Like the order in which you do things is consistent. So you know what to expect every time, which right. is also very comforting when you're in that kind of anxious right. space. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's it's going to be an evolution for sure with yeah. us on this. But I think the biggest thing around this particular step that you and I were talking about is just being honest enough with yourself to say, I'm not okay. I haven't been okay. Yeah. And I don't know how to get myself. Like, I don't know how to get myself out of this. And, and for me, my, (laughs) my, I I thought I was pretty smart and I am smart, right? I am smart, smart. but my smartest self got me into being a full-on addict, Mm. right? So there was no way in that mindset I was going to think my way 
by myself yeah. out of where I was. Like I was in a loop that was doom and gloom. And so my sponsor was like, well, if I was like, I can, I can, I got this, I can do it. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, if you're so big and you have, cause I really didn't want to think about something bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause it didn't feel safe or you didn't, I just didn't like, or... I didn't like the idea of kind of what you talked about earlier. I didn't like the idea of old this like God. old man, judgy freaking God, who's yeah. going to make me burn in hell. Every single one of my actions. Yeah. And, no matter what I'm and I have yeah. to repent and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right. I also wanted something bigger that would, um, I mean, I was like, you know, since I can include, since I can make up my own God, I'm not going to make it up, not in my favor, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, if I can create whatever it is to believe in, why should I create something that's like not going to believe in me? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but my first higher power was the ocean because I couldn't fathom what a higher power looked like. So my, yeah. My first sponsor told me to go down and stop the waves, which for me was a very great metaphor Mm -hmm. for being powerless. And in the writing of my doing my first step, I was directed to write about all of the times where I tried to control my drinking or Mm -hmm. all of my drinking episodes or my using episodes and all of the times where I was in that space. Yeah. And I could see over and over and over again that I really didn't have control over this situation. Mm -hmm. I was not, it was controlling me. Yeah. And that's the difference. I think that they define as like between an an alcoholic and a normal person. And Mm -hmm. then it says so in the Alcoholics Anonymous book, it's like, if, if you think you can go and enjoy it, go try, have a few drinks, go try it. Like, see if you can do it. If you can, our hats are off to you. Like Mm -hmm. enjoy your life. You know, for me, I'm, I'm not that person. I can't, um, for all the reasons I've already discussed. Right. So, so that meant for you when you were like looking at these situations, it was like, like spending your money unwisely or like, like what, what was the like actual day-to-day reality? Like the actual day to, when I was drinking and using. Yeah. Uh, like wake up, smoke a bowl. Smoke a bowl. I mean, in the, in the, like in some of the dysfunction, let's see if some of my worst jobs, like if I had a job, mm-hmm job did I have? I mean, I've had some cr- horrible jobs. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what, cause I got sober so young, right. right? I didn't really have a whole lot to lose or a whole lot of life experience. Yeah. Right. But, but are you like waking up on somebody's couch, someone else's couch? Or I like, did was you have, living you with, okay. So apartment? at the end of the end, I was uh, living in an apartment that my boyfriend had moved out of to mm. kind of get rid of me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was paying my rent mm-hmm. and I was like finding odd jobs here or there. Mm. I remember I like, I was putting like rhinestones or little like things on jeans over here on Abbott Kenny <laughs> at some little jean shop. And it was like, I got paid nothing, like a quarter per thing or, you know, it was something 
where I was making like four dollars. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I just couldn't. I would barter. So I would, you know, buy enough weed to sell some to mm-hmm. pay for extra. Do you know what I mean? So that that mm. would supply my habit. So I would buy so more. You were dealing. Kinda, not really. I mean, it was just like, yeah, it was just, uh, the thing. Like, if you're a real dealer, you don't do your own drugs, right? right. Like, that's the first rule, <laughs> right? Is you don't touch your your yeah. your supply. You were like, you were like selling dime bags to like losers on. Yeah, and I, I remember at one point, I <laughs> there was a lady who had this um, these sunglasses. She worked for this sunglass manufacturer, and she'd mm-hmm. sell me these expensive sunglasses for twenty five dollars each, mm-hmm. and I'd resell them for a hundred dollars each, which mm-hmm. was still like modern fifty dollars reseller. Yeah, Look at like you. fifty dollars less than what they would ah. cost normally. You know what I mean? And I would just. I was just hustling, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to uh, make money. And then um, I was, um, you know, I would just make up shit, too. I would just say, like, I'm a fashion designer. And I almost <laughs> one time had this woman, like, convinced that she was going to buy this, like, $5,000 dress for me when I didn't even know how to design a dress or <laughs> sew or stitch anything. <laughs> So what was your plan? You didn't even have a plan. I, well, I, you know, once I was, like, oh, once we made the plan Marfori? for me to go yeah. up and actually like fit her, oh, uh-huh. I didn't show. Ah. I knew I, I like I couldn't bullshit my way through it. I didn't take any deposit. That's when I was supposed to get the deposit, mm-hmm. and I was supposed to show her some fabric and give her the idea. And but like that's such a, that's the kind of bullshitter I was. <laughs> And, you know, before that, I was like, I was going to act, but I didn't really want to act because I'm not a good actor. Mm. You know what I mean? And so, oh, my God. I, uh, what did I do? But just kind I, of like thinking like anything that you thought would make that you, where you could make money. Where easily. I could cobble together some money. But, you yeah. know, in L.A. at that point. You know, you could have an apartment for a couple hundred dollars. So it didn't take Damn. a lot of money to have a place to live. Mm. So you could do the basic minimum. Right. You could have a normal person job. I could have had a normal person job, but yeah. I was not a normal person. Right. Mm. So I didn't go to college. I didn't right. go. I didn't have any of that. I was g- kind of trying to go to SMC, but there's no way. That's yeah. Santa Monica College, which is a great feeder school to the UC system. But I just didn't have. Uh, I didn't have it, and I actually still don't have it. That's not yeah. the kind of learner I am. I am. I go to a seminar, take take out all of the digest the pieces that you mm-hmm. want out of it, and apply those pieces to to practical use like immediately. Is yeah. like. I don't have the patience for theory and reading textbooks. Oh, I know. Do not. <laughs> I will just go to sleep. And I don't yeah. retain it. It's just yeah. like, it's not my thing. And I was, you know, 20 years old and cute. So I could get, I could get free drinks. to get free drinks. Nobody's buying free drinks anymore. Free dinners. I don't know if it's yeah, the economy. Yeah, because they're like $20 or or each. Yeah, but even before that, like five years, maybe it's just because I dress like a man. <laughs> I follow the man repeller style of dressing <laughs> and I don't really try to flirt or get free drinks out of people. But like, I think maybe twice a stranger has bought a drink for me. I got free everything like, all the time. 
At one yeah. point, my mom was like to her husband, she's like, don't give her any cash. And he's like, I only gave her $20. And my mom's like, I've been to Hawaii and back on less than that. <laughs> so yeah. I definitely flirted my way into a mm. lot of free things. I think today's deal is that men know that they're not going to get a blowjob for a hamburger. So they're not uh. buying you dinner anymore. Right. Because women are like, fuck that. I'm not like right. going to have sex with you because you bought me a meal. Right. And also because <laughs> it's kind of the equal, like equal times, if it, everything is equal, then right. why does the guy have to buy dinner? Yeah. Right. Well, they still earn a dollar more at least. That's true. Than women. But yeah. Interesting. One thing that's interesting too that I keep kind of hearing is that like, even though you understand that addiction is a disease and it's like I am, it is now understood to be a mental illness, uh -huh. so much of how you talk about it is still as if like you have more of a personal responsibility and it's related to your actions. And I think in this really interesting way that makes addiction unique compared to other mental illnesses. My brain can just make me depressed or anxious like uh -huh. without me doing anything, uh -huh. right? Like I can just wake up one day and it'll – It'll be like that, uh -huh. right? Um, and so I don't really have the agency in in triggering it necessarily right. aside from managing my life to the best of my ability so that I don't um, consume anything or experience anything that I know will kind of set that off. Right. But I think with addiction, there is like you do and you don't have control because it's still your brain trying to it's still your brain running the show and i had the ism chemicals. before i ever took the first drink i right. mean i think having the first drink was like oh my god <laughs> like my shoulders just relaxed and i was funny and mm -hmm. i could be inhibited i could be social mm -hmm. i didn't i wasn't that weird kid anymore mm -hmm. like we're just gonna have fun yeah and i'm a, a part of these I'm a cool kid now. Do you know Which what I mean? Which is so funny because that's how you've been my whole life. Like you've always been this like funny, full of personality, like very much beloved and appreciated person. Aww. Which is Thank good. You. And it was also intimidating too, right? Because it was like, oh, my mom, like, especially because you're a realtor, right? And you were so involved in a lot of like the school stuff. When I was growing up, like right. we would go to the grocery store. Every time we went to Gelson's, somebody fucking recognized you. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, really? Like, I just need to go and do my homework. Mom, can we not sit and talk to this random old lady <laughs> in the like pasta aisle? I got to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and I think it also, because we are so similar, I this is so interesting. It's just coming to me now. But I think I probably compared, I've compared myself to you in a lot of ways that made me insecure without, like, without hating you for it or without feeling any negative things towards you. But it was mm -hmm. just kind of like a, like, wistful, like, oh, it's so nice that mom, like, it's not nice that she was an addict, but it's so nice that she has, like, an AA community that's always there for her. And, like, mom's so funny and, like, everybody loves her and she has this face that's very unique and recognizable and I'm just kind of, like, Generic, bland, like fade into the background face. That's so funny because I don't see you like that. Oh, I that see is you very funny because I, I I hear the same things about you whenever we talk about you. They're like, mm. oh my god, Jackie's so nice and she's so funny and she's so <laughs> like 
warm and lovely. Well, I think I'm like that now, but growing up, I did not feel that way. Well, growing when I was up, in who high does? School, I mean, in, in junior high and high yeah, school, those like, are the fucked up years where right. you're just like, ugh. But I was also comparing myself to you um, as like, I was comparing my child self to you as like a fully formed sober yes, adult who which, was very anchored. Which also is a thing, like mm-hmm. comparing yourself to anybody yeah. is never a winning situation. Like it, it'll, it, it's winning. in if you're like, I'm better than you, but right. usually that's not the case when yeah. we're comparing people. <laughs> it's like, if I was only, and then you can fill in that blank yeah. with any kind of taller, shorter, skinnier, fatter, richer, poorer, right. smarter, funnier, yeah, blonder, blue eyeder, high cheekboneder, longer legged. All of it. All of it. Yeah. Um, totally. Which is why, like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy thing. But yeah, um, comparing myself to myself, like if I compare mm. me to me now, right? Mm-hmm. So me now versus me, 20-year-old, scared to death, stared at the ground, didn't know how to look at people. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't see that part of me. You yeah. saw me sober. But before right. when I was 20... Literally, I did not. My sponsor had to tell me to pick my head up mm. and look at people and say hi. Mm. Like, I, my first job was in Century City, and it's very, it's a very corporate area, yeah. you know, with high rises and lots of attorneys and business managers and that stuff. And we were, I was working for this corporate um, travel agency, mm-hmm. and there was an escalator in the building, and she was like, "Okay, you know that escalator that's in your building." I want you to say hi to the people you pass on that escalator that you see every day. Like if you recognize somebody that you see every day, I just want you to say hi. Ugh. And I was like, yeah, exactly. You have social anxiety too then. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to a meeting to break myself of it. There was this giant yeah. meeting that's still there in, in uh, Brentwood on Thursday nights. And people save seats with keys and cards and whatever. So yeah. they're sitting with their friends, right? And um, at a certain point when the meeting's about to start, they call for, if there's an empty seat next to you, please mm-hmm. raise your hand. So people would raise their hands. And I specifically went there and didn't save myself a seat and sat next to somebody who was raising their hand to practice introducing myself to somebody. So mm-hmm. I would sit down next to the person who raised their hand put my hand out and say, hi, my name is Denise. And they would Mm. introduce themselves back. Like I had to like actually relearn how to be in a social situation because I had cut myself off so much Mm. from the world that I did, I kind of lost that skill. Yeah. Lost ability to do that sober. When you were using, could you do it? Yeah, it was life the party. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. I didn't have the inhibitions. Totally. I mean, yes and no. My inhibit. I mean, that got me to a place where I was living a very small life in a very small way. Yeah. Right. So now I'm sober and I'm out, out in the day, functioning with people. What does that look like? You know, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know. I remember being high and looking out the window, watching people. Cause I would, because obviously I was up all night. So I'd watch mm-hmm. people come home from work, carrying their groceries, mm-hmm. 
And then I'd see them get up and like go out the next day. And I was like, I wonder how people do that. Like, Mm. how do you like function and you just go to work and come home and like make yourself a meal and then maybe do the dishes and maybe take a shower and then go to bed and sleep and then get up and go to work the next day. Like, how do you, I, I had zero clue Mm. how to function like that as a human. Yeah. And it was you know, trained. So it was like my schedule when I first got sober was Monday night. I was going to go to the 6.30 to 7.30 meeting. Mm. And then I was instructed to go home and clean my room. I was living Mm. at home again with my mom. Clean my room and do my laundry. So Monday night was that. Tuesday night, I was going to a step study where we were studying these steps and Mm -hmm. I could learn about what the steps were. Wednesday, I was to go to a women's meeting, which I really did not want to go because I used with the boys. I hung Mm. with the boys. I would liked being with the boys. I did not want to be a woman amongst women. Mm. I did not feel, I did not trust women and I was not trustworthy. So it was not a, it was not a great spot for Mm. me to be because, you know. We'll dig more into that too. I'm going to make a note of that. Yeah. (laughs) And then. Wednesday night. Thursday night, I went to that big Brentwood meeting. Mm-hmm. Friday night, I went to uh, kind of a social meeting. Saturday, I went to a social meeting. Sunday, I went to a women's stag that they ended up making me secretary of. But mm-hmm. I went to the women's stag because there was a men's stag that started 10 minutes and let uh, out 10 uh, minutes after. So like, Oh, so they were all chumming up. Yeah, after. they were downstairs uh-huh. in this room, and we were upstairs in this room. And so Spicy. we'd come down the stairs, and there'd be all these dudes hanging out. Nice. So it was kind of a scene. Hmm. So it was a, a social, a way of being social, you know, and – Meeting people and yeah. kind of finding a new tribe because mm. I had to let go of all my like old addict friends. Yeah. I just couldn't be around them anymore. We had to choose between me and them. Mm. And I let, I chose me, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. I don't know that most of them aren't alive anymore. Mm. Sad. Yeah. I had... Also to like rebuild a social life too after college multiple times, right? I had to redo it when I left school early here because I was home for a year. And then I had to do it again when I went back to college for my last semester. And I had to do it again when I came back to L.A. and was like, oh, none of my college friends are here from either of those times. Right. And I have to like figure this out. And so I kind of made some friends at work and like most of my friends were older, Mm -hmm. Um, but I started befriending a lot more women starting in college. It was friends with the boys, but it shifted, Mm -hmm. I think. And one of the ways that I retrained my kind of social anxiety and relearned how to talk to people was anytime I went into a cafe, I made eye contact with the person Mm. and I said, hi, how are you? To the barista? To the barista. hmm And I actually, like, listened to their response. Mm. And I'm like, oh, good. Like, I'm happy to hear that. And then they would go, what can I get you? Instead of just speeding through it, instead of going like, hey, how are you? Yeah. Can I get a whatever? Right. right. And I noticed that, like, people would kind of pick up a little bit. And I was like, oh, that feels good to, like, have that person smile. Yes. Right? So I started practicing that over and over again. And I started making myself go to, like... 
not that my social calendar is overflowing, but like any parties I did go to, I really didn't want to go to or any right. bars I didn't really want to go to because I didn't I still don't have like a, a group that regularly gets together here. Well, I think you don't have a group because you pick people, not groups. Yes. So you have right. you have friends that you can. Yeah, meet. I have lots of individual friends who it can meet. Right. But I don't have the, that built in safety of knowing that there's a group except for my college friends when we all kind of like reunite. Right. But that's usually on the East Coast. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I also had to really force myself to go to social events, especially with people from high school. For some mm-hmm. reason, that felt really, really stressful for me. Mm-hmm. Um to be the person who like graduated a year later and was living at home with her parents after college and not in like a cool sexy job at like Oracle or Facebook or going to grad school, right? Mm-hmm. I was like home. My mom was my boss. My mom employed me and yes. I was living at home. <laughs> Driving my old car. Yeah. And, yeah. But then that changed. It changed. Yeah. Yeah. You got an apartment. I did get an apartment. That was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I got a roommate. And I was really, really, really particular about my roommate. Because I knew after college that, like, if I am living with the wrong person, that's just going to, like, I just can't do it. And I got so lucky I had the best roommate in all of Los Angeles. <laughs> right. We worked. I think we got along really well. And yeah. But again, I, you know, I, I made decisions. Once I graduated college, I realized that I could. And I was really irritable for the last like two years of college because I was on Adderall and everything mm-hmm. bothered me. And I was like, I can either let everything bother me all the time and become one of those like mean, nasty people who's just constantly irritated and. Mm-hmm always complaining or I can make up my mind to just make peace with it. Right. Right. So I decided I was going to make peace with the traffic in Los Angeles. I was going to make peace with finding parking. I was going to take care of the dishes and the laundry soap. And we're each going to buy our own toilet paper to like prevent any of that conflict from building up Uh and rubbing me the wrong way. Right. Like I took a lot of agency and ownership over that kind of stuff. Well, you set it up from the beginning what the from expectations the were. Yeah. For food in the fridge to... Yeah. It's like, we have this drawer, to... you have that drawer, I have right. this shelf, you have that shelf. Yeah. And you guys actually did live very separate lives together. We did. Yeah. Yeah. And we did overlap, but, you know, and she... She was very sweet and always extended many invitations to me to be social, but I just wasn't there yet. Yeah. And on the days when I was like feeling good and felt like I could do it, I was uh-huh. fine. I also leaned really heavily on Nala uh-huh. to ease my social anxiety. Nala like, the dog. Nala the dog. She comes with me to, I still lean on her. She comes with me to like any bar that I can get away with or any restaurant that I can get away with or any You're not event. using her for chum? To chum out the big fish. You know, surprisingly, that hasn't worked out. Like, yeah, every now and then a guy will, like, sit down, like, to chat or whatever. People say hi, but, like, they definitely always seem more interested. Maybe I'm just clueless and they see – I think they're interested in the dog and really they're interested in me. But a lot of the time she's just a really cute, good-looking dog who's very happy, gets a lot of attention. So I think maybe we're doing it wrong, but – 
she still comes with me because she's a good, she's like a great icebreaker, right? right? Like people who won't come up to me and say hi, will come up to her. And then we start a conversation. Right. And some days I can do that without her and some days I can't. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's. Is that healthy? Sounds about right. Right. But then I think about it and like, I could either feel bad about that fact or I could just say that like this is a healthier coping mechanism why than would you me feel going bad and about take a that? shot because I can't do it on my own. Why, why is there any shame attached to that that you can't do like it on a, your own? I think it's just like a cultural thing, I right? Mean, I'm, I'm I wouldn't like a, go to a bar on my own and just sit there. Oh, no, not on my own, but like meeting up with other people or like going to a party. Yeah. You know, even going to Girl Swirl, I would bring her. Yeah, I didn't like, I mean, I'm still like that. I can go yeah. into a party where I know everybody, like I'm hosting a happy hour at our office with like hundreds of people on Monday, right? Mm-hmm. I have no problem there. Yeah. I know who almost everybody <laughs> yeah. is, right? Except yeah. for some of the junior members of teams and stuff that I haven't sure. met yet. And it's my space, right? Yeah. It's like, this is my domain. And um, yeah. so- I have no problem in a social situation like that. Mm-hmm. I, but I will start to dip out if people get too drunk and I just, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, and the music changes to the, dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun, dun, you know, and, and it's changed. The vibe has changed yeah. to the real party. Um, I usually kind of don't go to the after parties of things. Much to my chagrin. We almost got you to one club. I'm still determined that we're going to get you to a club. <laughs> Maybe it'll have to be for like a, I'm not going to a titty birthday. bar no. in Miami. Okay, you don't need to go. We're not going to the strip club, but like <laughs> I would love to like go to – I'll get you earplugs. I would love to just like, I don't know, See have that dance. experience. Yeah, like I just want to have that, like not that you have to drink or do anything, but like it would yeah. be fun to go out and like go dancing with you. Okay, I'll that go kind dancing of stuff. with you. It, that's, mm. yeah, see, she won't do it. We'll have to figure it out. I'll figure it we'll out. We'll figure out a way to do it on our terms. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, but it's also like, <laughs> oh, like I'll never be able to like Smoke share. weed with your mom? Yes, and I know it would be so funny, and like, not that I want to send you down the spiral, but I just know that we would have a great time. And Dad too. Like, I think Dad would be so much lighter and more free if he was smoking pot. But then he wouldn't. Dad, I know. As soon as he smokes pot, he's gone. He is like, you know, looking for eight balls. He's like somewhere. one of those one of those flame like like rice paper flame things Literally. that you can just light up and yeah. float into the yeah. sky. Totally. He is like he is like the steaming volcano at Benihana. Like oh, the flame hit about Benihana yesterday. I was like, hmm, mm. I haven't been there in a while. It takes forever. So, <laughs> so there is some social things that you can say I'm missing out on. But yeah. I did when my early sobriety. There was a group of us that would go out on Saturday nights after the yeah. meeting that didn't include your dad. Like it was just mm-hmm. my friends. Going out, there was probably yeah. 12 of us or, cool. and we'd go like every Saturday night and dress up and go dance until like three in the morning. Where? Just at like bars or like clubs There was one in LA? specific club oh, that we would Oh, the one downtown yeah. that you loved? Vertigo. Yeah. It was a, it was a happening spot. Like mm. at that point, it's the 80s. Yeah. Everybody else is still doing the cocaine. The guy that owns the club is dating one of the princes, 
princesses of Monaco. Oh, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of, lot, you know, if you were regular, there was a, there was a house photographer and they would put pictures up on a big screen. Uh, And so like, you'd get your picture from like last week. Yeah. Or from a few weeks ago. They didn't have the technology to project that. And in then, the moment, I was like, oh, what kind of club is that? Not in the moment. No. No, because they were oh, taking so photos. so if you didn't show up, you would miss it. You, but you would be up on that big, you know, they would flash yeah. through kind of like the Jumbotron. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But Where in you'd the club. Be there, but in and a then club. people, you could like kind of eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. And so it fun. was just fun. It was, they had a great DJ and it was yeah. one of those clubs that was fun to go to. And. Nice. And. I got sober before I was old enough to go to clubs. So I don't know mm-hmm. if it was a 21. I think it probably was. Maybe I was 21 one time I went there. But anyway, I knew I had some fun things I needed to do. Yeah. And that I didn't get to do because mm-hmm. I was so so into my disease that I didn't do that kind of stuff. Although yeah. I did go to a lot. I mean, a lot of live music. Mm. 80s bands like mm-hmm. almost every weekend yeah. I was going to see somebody somewhere because it's a thing that you could do at night that at the time didn't cost very much and you didn't have to be drinking right you could just go and enjoy it and nobody was paying attention to you because they were all paying attention to the music we were going to Madame Blues on Wilshire oh. and like Santa so who Monica. was there you would just show up and like enjoy it would whoever. be like I mean, we'd have, I remember there, maybe the Stray Cats were at a bigger thing, probably yeah. the Palladium. <laughs> the Palladium. Yeah, the Palladium. There was a club out in the valley, the Star or something. Mm. I don't know. And Madame Luz was like regular, you know. Yeah. Consistently X. fun. You knew we there was going to be We would stuff. see. We would, and and there would be band members that would play with other different bands. So there maybe would be a band mm. member from one band that was playing with somebody else. And cool. It was just live music. But I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I also knew enough about myself that I didn't want to be kind of kept, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. So I um You didn't want a sugar daddy. I didn't. You didn't want to be a trophy wife, even though you could have. I could have. I didn't. I was offered. I said no. No, thank you. Hmm. I just don't want to do that. Yeah. It was also different then. Like I think being a a trophy wife now is maybe a little bit more fun, nicer than it was then. Is it though? I've never wanted mm. to answer to anybody. Like I don't wanna have to like justify buying myself a pair of shoes or yeah. or doing anything that I want to do for myself a massage yeah. or a whatever whatever anything nice for myself that I'm doing for me I don't want to have to explain to somebody and right. I feel like I would have had to do that I don't even know that I would have had to do it I just didn't want to even put myself in a place I don't know I've always wanted to earn my own money so that I had freedom to do what I wanted to do with that. Yeah. But that's just me. Me feeling like I have to earn money. Maybe just because we're in this like period of massive inflation right now too. Mm-hmm. But it feels exhausting trying to earn enough to like have a just an average life. Yeah. Right. And I'm like I'm more comfortable than so, 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 so many people in this city, let alone this country. Uh-huh. 
And I'm like, yeah, the idea of somebody paying all the bills and like taking care of all that and I just get to exist sounds kind of nice. Well, now it sounds kind of nice, <laughs> but then it did not sound nice. Yeah. But it's okay. You know, I think it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. It yeah. is, it's, there's no there's right way. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, I feel yeah. like we've kind of talked about this stuff. I think we I'm, did a good do. I think we did a good do. I'm I'm glad that we get to do this together and yeah. talk about stuff and accept each other and be together and talk about the hard things and do the do the work. I mean, it's yeah. And we get to laugh together. Like it's not always just heavy. It's also we get to laugh at some of the, the bullshit that oh, we yeah. just get to deal with in life. Okay. Thank you for your time. All right. Okay. Have Until a good next day. time. Bye. Bye. We want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at 12 Steps for Everyone. That's at the number 12 Steps for Everyone. Please like and follow us. You can also send us topics you want us to dig into or follow-up questions from each episode. And if you know someone who would enjoy or benefit from our conversations, please feel free to share this with them. All are welcome here.